0: All right, let's go ahead and turn into the book of Colossians, book of Colossians. Uh, we've uh, been studying Colossians uh, a bit here. Uh, we talked about the four warnings that are found in chapter two. Uh, and uh, again, those are warnings where uh, to a degree there's some allowance of what we allow in our lives. And uh, I'll tell you this, we do get influenced very frequently by things that are out there in this world. We let it get to us. Uh, we let the false doctrine uh, um, permeate our lives. We let uh, the things of the world, uh, again, uh, draw us into conforming to it. So what we have here in this passage, specifically in chapter 2, are the warnings that we've talked about. We talked about uh, the preeminence, obviously, of Christ in chapter 1 that we find continuing into chapter 2. And uh, we see, obviously, that in verse 3. Uh, that we referenced. Uh, but we're going to kind of go through and pick up those verses that we skipped over between those uh, warnings. So obviously, we looked at the first warning in chapter four about uh, uh, individuals beguiling. And again, this is something that we have to be very, very careful about. Uh, again, just to, to bring up a reference, go over to the book of Galatians. Um, and uh, I know I had you just turn to Colossians, but we're going to take a look at Galatians chapter one. Galatians chapter one. This is the same situation that happens here with the, with, with the church at Galatia. And in that, uh, in that verse, uh, excuse me, in that chapter, in chapter, uh, one and verse six, he says to them, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. It's, uh, it's something you have to be very careful of. Uh, you know, there are other gospels out there. You gotta be very careful about what's being taught. You gotta be very careful about what people are, uh, presenting as God, as Christ. Because he says here in verse 7, which is not another. Basically, he's saying it's called a gospel, but it is something far from it. It is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is man's quote unquote gospel. It is man's teaching. It is generally based in humanism and uh, is generally based in a puffing up of oneself. And it's, uh, it's, again, it's a dangerous thing. But here he says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Would pervert the gospel of Christ. There are people out there today that pervert the gospel of Christ. There are people that walk around, and if you will, they come about in some sort of universalist-type mentality, saying, well, it doesn't matter whether you believe in Jesus Christ, Allah, Buddha, or whatever. Uh, we're all going to get to heaven one way or another. No, we're not. The Bible makes that pretty clear, that there's a lake of fire, and there's people going to go in there. There is a hell, and people go there. They're very real. They're not allegories. They're, they, 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 they are real places that people go to, that are places of torment, and and, and we got to be careful about that. There are people that run around and they teach uh, these false doctrines about well, there's really no hell. There's just a grave, and you go into nothingness. You realize, you know, if somebody ever comes to your door and they start talking about Jehovah and they start mentioning something, and you mention hell, and they go, "Well, there's no hell. It's just a grave." You, you can tell them, you know, so so you're a Buddhist. No, they don't like it when you compare them to other religions. They really don't. I've done it before, and they got mad at me. So, <clears throat> I told a, a Mormon and Jehovah's Witness one time, both of them. I told them that they basically believed the same thing, and they got really upset with me. So, gotta be careful with that. But uh, yeah, I'm try- i wasn't trying to upset them, but I was making a point to to show them that uh, false doctrines kind of have a core common belief. Right, yeah. Um, and, uh, but you, you take a look at that, you know, what uh, happens at the end of, uh, Buddhism, you keep getting reincarnated, 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 you know, go from a fly to a snail to whatever, to, you know, a human being and another person and all those weird things that they put out there. I'll tell you this. One of the key things to kind of keep, uh, you know, an eye on is when they start te- te- you know, um, teaching that, uh, you know, you become something else. Uh, you, 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 if you will, are transformed by your own power and what you do. You know, that's not, that's not the transformation work of Jesus Christ. That's something else. But I'll, I'll say this. They, they believe that you reach a state called nirvana. And what nirvana is, basically you become one with the universe and you become nothing. You just go into nothingness. You reincarnate into pff, oblivion and you're, you're, Your particles are distributed throughout the universe. I'm like, what in the world? There's no hope. There's no hope. But, you know, here, you know, these people, they would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Somebody that is trusting in themselves and believes Buddhism is not going to see eternal life. It's only by the grace of God, it's only through the finished work of Jesus Christ that we have eternal life. First John makes that pretty clear that we can know that. What well, we find here in verse 8, he says, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so I say now again, if any man preach another gospel unto you then ye have received, let him be accursed. Now, this is something we have to be very clear on. This is what he's talking about over here. He says, don't let anybody beguile you. Don't let anybody try to deceive you. You got to be careful. The church at Galatia—they got deceived. They got deceived. And over in, in, in chapter uh, chapter three, in verse one, he says, "O foolish Galatians, who have bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set before you, crucified among you." He, he's making it clear here. He's saying, you know, you were you were taught something. You received it. You received the truth. Why are you believing a lie now? Why is something else coming in there? And the main reason is, is because we let it. We let it. And it's a sad state because, I mean, you know, you've got, you know, Jesus knocking on the door. Nobody wants to let him in. But hey, somebody else offers, you know, knocks on the door and hey, have you read the watchtower? Have you heard about this other gospel of Jesus Christ called the Book of Mormon or or whatever it may be? And all of a sudden people will gladly receive that. Now those are extremes, but I will tell you this. There are things that, like with the church at Galatia and what he's warning here at Colossi, he's saying be careful because those little things are the stuff that damage. As it says, it's the little foxes that damage the vines. It's going to hurt the growth. It's going to cause problems in your Christian life. Your your, your trees are going to wither up. There's going to be unfruitfulness. It's not going to be done for the glory of God. And And that's the key thing that we have to begin to realize. Everything that we do that is going to be fruit of the Spirit is done for the glory of Jesus Christ. If you do it for yourself, it is not a work that will last. That's wood, hay, and stubble. It will burn, burn, and burn. Only the stuff that is done for Christ is going to be the stuff that remains. The gold, the silver, the precious stones. The stuff that is not affected or is purified in the fire. So we have to be very careful about this. But as we kind of continue on here back over in Colossians chapter two, in verse five, he mentions this and he says, for though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. This is an important thing because again, he starts talking about being unified together in one spirit, as we see in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter four, there's one spirit, there's one body. We're all in that body. There are not multiple bodies of Christ. There is one body of Christ. We are all in it together. Whether it's a believer that is in Africa or Asia or Europe or here in the United States of America, we are in the body of Christ. And he makes that clear here because why? He was not a member of this church. He had not visited this church. He did not start this church. And he says, I'm there with you in the spirit. In the Spirit. Now we see here, he says, joying and beholding your order. This is an important thing that we see. Why? Because the Spirit brings joy. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? There's love, and then there's joy, and there's peace, and then long, I mean, we go through that list. But we see that joy is a product of the Holy Spirit Working in somebody's life. So when he's talking about this here, he's saying he's joying because of what he sees. Now, this is an important part because when we look at this phrase here, he says, yet I am, uh, uh, I am with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. When somebody looks at your Christian life, when somebody looks at what you're doing, are they joying in what you are doing for Jesus Christ? Your witness should be a joy to other believers. If it's not, you got to double-check it. you got a problem. Because if you're a stumbling block, and you're grieving people, and you're causing problems, and you're a troublemaker then you have to double-check what's going on in your heart. Something has affected it. Something has caused it to go awry. You are not on the path that Christ has laid forth for us. So what we find here is he says very clearly, he's joying in in, in beholding what they're doing. He's taking a look at this going, oh, praise God, I, I, I see some growth. I see some fruit. I see some work. And most importantly, as he says here, It talks about order and steadfast. Now, you know what? God is a God of order. How do we know that? Just take a look at nature. Take a look at what God has created out there. There's an order to it. You know, there's seasons. Spring, summer, fall, winter. Winter. And I know here in the Pacific Northwest, we can't discern the differences between them because they all seem the same.
1: But, you know,
0: we can take a look at the trees and we can kind of get a general idea about what time of year it is. You know, we don't look to the clouds. We don't look to the the skies. And, you know, the ground here is always sopping wet. And, you know, it's just one of those things, right? But, but, But I'll tell you this, there's an order. You never see fall coming before summer doesn't happen that way. God's got an order. God's got an order in the way he created the planetary systems in their orbits. it has got an order. it has got an order in the way that the stars uh, move in their paths in the sky that he talks about in Scripture. Right? There's an order to it. You can generally know approximately where the Big Dipper is always going to be. You can track it as it moves across the sky. You, you, you can do those things. You, uh, I mean, there's, there's so many things. Laws of, uh, of physics. There's order behind it. The laws of thermodynamics. First and second laws. There's an order. God has got you know something in order in, in this in this universe, in this life, in the things that He does. He has an order that we see through Scripture that He is following. That he is, he is keeping that. Why would we think that our lives can be disorderly and please God? You ever see a worship service that is disorderly. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, you know. We, look, we're not professionals here. We don't play professionals on TV. We are no. I mean, you know, they, I'm not talking about you know things going awry and, and things like that. I'm talking about a, a, a service that is disorderly. I saw some clips uh, that, that just, uh, just I like, I didn't even know whether to laugh, cry, or scream. You got these people up there and then some guy, as I said before, uh, it was some service and, and they're videotaping all of this. And so you, you got to wonder, is this performance? And some guy's up there and he's got this big old Viking shield. And he's beating on the Viking shield. And they're singing and people are screaming and people are running through the aisles with their hands in the air. People are, 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 um, you know, you ever see some of those heavy metal people where they're doing the head banging type stuff? People were doing that in church. And flinging their hair around and stuff like that and, and they're doing this, uh, spinning, twirling, dervish type type stuff. And if you've ever studied the dervish and what those guys do, there's a spiritual power behind it. And it's not a god. Gotta be careful with that stuff. But anyways, one of the amazing things is is right in front of this guy with this sword, or excuse me, with this shield, there's this guy with this big old broadsword. Wasn't a Viking sword, otherwise it would have been a lot smaller, cause the Vikings kinda realized, hey, we don't need something that big to do the job, but he's got this big old broad sword and he's just swinging it. And some woman comes right through, walking right in front of him, and she almost gets her head taken off. Cause this guy's, and it's a real sword. You know what, that's not orderly. That's not a god services where people are lying on the floor passed out and people are running and screaming and jumping over them and and, and dancing in a trance-like state. That's not orderly. That's not of God. Because God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. But here he's saying, look, there's something methodical about what they're doing. And I'm not talking about methodical in the form of tradition and done on autopilot. I'm talking about order with purpose. Order with purpose. God desires those things. He teaches uh, Timothy and Titus. There's an order to send things. I'm not talking about order of services where you've gotta sing 15 songs before you get into a 20 minute message and then you gotta sing 25 more songs and then you, I mean, I'm not talking about something like that to say, well, well hey, we worshiped God today. It doesn't have to be that, you know, every single time you gotta have, you know, this and 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 this and, this and it's gotta be done this way. I'm talking, I'm not talking about the orders of man. I'm talking about godly order the way God wants to be worshipped. This is what he's seeing. He's seeing order in their life in such a way that they have this, if you will, testimony about Christ. Because he talks about that very specifically. He says, the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. The steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Now, we know that faith has to be demonstrated in order for faith to be faith. It has to be shown because it says that now faith is the substance, something that if you will, is tangible and is evidence Again, something that can be presented and demonstrated in a court of law. You have to have evidence to prove your case. You can't just walk in and say, well, he looked at me funny and that caused me to wreck my car. It's like, well, did anybody see that look? What did he do with that look? You know, how, how I mean, you've got to have evidence that that somehow, some way, you had damage. You had damage. Uh, I'll give you an example. You know, there's a lot of, of, uh, of uh, stuff going on right now in the state of Washington because a bunch of, um uh if you will, gun control legislation got passed uh, if you didn 't know uh basically you 're going to have to get a permit to purchase any type of firearm here in the state of washington um and uh, if not there's felony charges, and they'll prosecute those, but they won 't prosecute the guy that 's distributing fentanyl so okay, well, whatever uh but you know you you 've got that. Um, you 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 can't have certain kinds of guns because they look mean, um, you know things of that nature. You can't have more than how many of the rounds they want to put in there, and say that they're limiting them, and so on and so forth. And they've got all these things that they put in, so people are 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 saying, well, we need to sue the government because it's against the Washington and U.S. Constitution. But the problem is, is you cannot sue until harm and damage has been done. You can't sue because you just don't like the law. You have to show damage. So somebody has to apply for a permit and show that, that because they were denied a permit in a prompt and timely manner, that it caused damage. In order to challenge that law in court. Evidence, right? And I say all of that to say this that your faith should be evidence that you are a Christian. It should be shown and demonstrated. It shouldn't be kept in the closet. They want us to keep it in the closet, but let's not. Here he he's, he he's never been there, but he knows that the church of Colossae is steadfast in their faith. Have you ever wavered in your faith before? You ever have just those moments of just, you know, that, that, that self-pity, doubt, lack of assurance? I have. I mean, that, 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 that thought process, man, that devilish thought, it'll hit you just out of the middle of nowhere. You're having a good week, you're praising God, and then BAM! All of a sudden it's like, really? Do you really think that God's gonna help you? you're like, well, I don't know. Yeah, come on. Faith, right? But here, this steadfastness, he's looking at this and he's seeing, hey, they're staying where they should be. That steadfastness is talking about very similar to what we see over in the book of Ephesians. Like I said, these books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, they have all got similar language throughout them and we find here he's talking about being steadfast and we find things like that talking about that over in Ephesians chapter 6 where he's saying hey you need to stand having done all stand you're steadfast you're steadfast when 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 stuff is going to hit your life you notice i didn't say if it's when. You ever notice that over there where Jesus Christ is talking about the, the man that built his house upon the rock and the man that built his house upon the sand? He doesn't say if the winds and the waves and, you know, uh, the, uh, all of that and the rain comes. He says when. When. It's going to either stand or it's going to fall. And the reason that we fall is because we are not keeping our footing where it needs to be. And we find this here. He's saying, look, your steadfastness is because it's found in Christ. There we are back to the preeminence. There we are back to the preeminence. And again, when we have our steadfastness in the faith the, 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 me, in our faith in Christ, it makes it very clear because we could have faith in something else, right? We could have faith in the government. <laughs> Again, you know, just from a historical perspective, uh, how many of you ever read? And, and I almost call it a preamble, but it's not really. Uh, but I use that phrase it, 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 to the the Bill of Rights. When there was more than just the few that were initially proposed. There was a bunch of other ones and then, I mean the second amendment wasn't even actually the second amendment, I think it was number four at one point in time. And then they went through and revised and they did stuff, but you know what, anybody ever read the letter of the proposal of those Bill of Rights? Anybody? At all? You should read it. It's hard to find, by the way. It's really hard to find, and I'll tell you this you know when it was penned it said the reason that these bill of rights were put in there was so that the ind- that the individuals the people would have greater confidence in the government greater confidence in the government what that the government wasn't going to come after them that the government was going to be set up for their benefit to help them That's individual confidence. That's not state rights. That's not government oversight and overwatch and and oppression. But what we find here is we find that that people will put their faith in the government. They'll put their faith in laws. Oh, we created these laws. That's going to reduce crime. How does that reduce crime? You have to enforce it. But if you don't have money for a police department because you defunded it, you're not allowing them to do their job, there's a lack of faith. I don't have faith that the government's going to do the right thing. I think they're going to do what's in their best interest. And sometimes it might be a, a lobbyist's best interest. So there's issues with faith. But I want you to notice that their faith wasn't in the faith of men. It wasn't in themselves. It wasn't in tradition. That their steadfastness and the order was because it was found in Christ. We're going back to that preeminence. It's found in Christ. If your faith is in something else other than in Christ, you will fall. You will fall, because as he, he he continues on in verse six here, and he says, "As ye have therefore received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in Him." He then begins to explain. He says, "Now look, here's what's going to happen. You received Jesus Christ, and if you will, this is one of those verses that leads to what happens next after salvation. What happens next after salvation?" A lot of times people, and this happens so frequently, they they will be shown the passages of scripture, they come under conviction, they are, you know, they turn to Christ, and they call out, and they say, I need you as my savior, and they, they receive that truth, okay? They receive that truth. And then nobody follows up. Nothing happens. They're an infant. They're a newborn. They're a babe. Well, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to grow in Christ. God makes that very clear. We are to grow in Christ. He says that over and over and over again in Scripture. Paul repeats this. And what we need to do is we need to grow in him and bear fruit as Christ has talked about. So in order to do that, we have to do a, we have to what? We have to walk. We have to walk. Just like the blind man. When he, when he was healed, the first thing he saw is he saw men as God sees men, as trees, as trees. And there they are walking, right? Now think about this for a second. You ever see a tree walk? You ever see those weird moving rocks that they always talk about? They kind of have their, their self-propelled rocks and they move and they make little paths in the sand and stuff like that. Bizarre things, bizarre little things. Uh, but, but that being said, uh, I, will, I will tell you this, um, we we don't see trees, you know, picking up their roots and deciding to walk and move to some other place. The planet. But with God, he sees these trees walking. He sees trees walking. But at the same time, they're also rooted. And they're rooted where? In Jesus Christ. So what we find here is we find that he says, I want you to walk. He says, I want you to walk in him. I don't want you to walk in your own power. I don't want you to walk in a path that is... Uh, uh, led by some other man i don't want you to walk in a path that is, is is one of sin i want you to walk in a path that is christ jesus the lord and we, we really truly have to to do that with a purpose we have to do that with a purpose and he says i want you to walk I mean, it's an interesting thing. Sometimes we would think of it to be a bit of a contradiction because he's talking about steadfastness. He talks about standing in the Lord, but he also talks about walking, which is why we see the progression of the blessed man over in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Walking, standing, and sitting. And that's the exact same positions that we find in the book of Ephesians. We find sitting, walking, And standing in the book of Ephesians. We're seated with him in heavenly places, we're to walk circumspectly, and we're to stand to fight. Not in the counsel of the ungodly, or in the way of sinners, or in the seat of the scornful. We are walking in Christ. And this is what he desires. And the reason that he's mentioning this is because again, this is going to be combating that, 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 uh, that warning that he's talking about, about being beguiled. If you are not walking in Jesus Christ and your steadfastness and order is not found in Christ, you will be duped. You will be deceived. You will be led astray. You will fall. And this is what we need to begin to understand as he's talking about this here. I, t- turn over to the book of um uh let's go over to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter sixteen. Keep your place there in, in Colossians. We'll get back to it maybe. <laughs> Exodus chapter sixteen. <clears throat> Exodus chapter sixteen. <clears throat> Take a look at verse four, Exodus chapter 16, verse four. Then said the Lord unto Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. Do you ever think of the provisions that God gives you is whether is to prove whether or not you're going to walk in him or not? Yeah. Have you been blessed? We have been blessed above measure. We, we we live in the United States of America, and let's just face it, we're pretty well blessed. If you had a car that brought you here, and you didn't have to walk and hoof it, get up at 5 a.m. in the morning and, 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 and walk all the way over here, you need to praise God for that. You, you, you need, that's a blessing from God. That you've been given those things. Not everybody in this world gets that. But you know what? You ever wonder if that car is going to prove whether or not you're going to walk in his ways or no? God blesses you. Are you going to thank him for it? That's walking in his way. Are you going to use it for him? Just really quickly, how many people in here do not have a cell phone? I mean, obviously, accepting any, you know, children here. Anybody in here do not have a cell phone? I'm not talking about having a cell phone that you purposefully avoid, that you never answer. <laughs> Everybody look at dad. <laughs> Trust me. There was some of that going on when I was in the hospital. The phone would ring. The thing would buzz. I'd be like, I am not even looking at that. I'm going to lay here and just, you know, just ignore that for a while. It is. It's it's, it's very restful, I will tell you that. But, you know, I, I will tell you, these these little devices that we have in our pockets, you know, they drive us crazy sometimes. You know how blessed we are to have something like that? Do you use it for the Lord? He's provided it for you. He's blessed you. Uh, it, it, I mean, are, what are you doing with it? Prove whether you're, you're going to walk in his ways or no. You ever, you ever have a job where you, you, you get a job where you're blessed and you're like, you know, you don't deserve the job. You're not qualified for it, but you're, you know, everybody's like, nope, you're going to be great for it, and they're going to help you, and, and it's a job, and you're just sitting there going, ah, oh, man, I don't know about this, I don't know about this, and the Lord has just given it to you, and and did you ever think that maybe that was meant to prove whether or not you're going to walk in his ways or no? You're going to make a stand for Jesus Christ? Just think about that. You know, even back in the Old Testament, God's talking about walking. Even in the Old Testament, God's talking about walking. Take a look at another passage. Go over to, uh, let's go over to Deuteronomy. So here we're talking about the first generation. Let's talk about the second generation getting ready to go into the land. Deuteronomy chapter 13. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, and we're going to take again a look at verse 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 and, and, uh, um, uh, excuse me, Deuteronomy chapter 13, verse 4. I will get it out one of these days. Um, You know, it says here in verse 4, it says, Ye shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and ye shall serve him and cleave unto him. And he's right in the middle of this. He's talking about false prophets. He's talking about false prophets in Deuteronomy chapter 13 in this first part. Who are you going to listen to? Walking also involves listening. But here he is making it very clear. He's saying, I want you to walk after the Lord your God. Not walk after some other false god. Baal, Molech, Hymnon, whatever, Asherah. All those false gods that we see in scripture in this day and age. We've got all sorts of things, career, money, spouse, family, all those things. Those are all gods that are false gods if they're put before Jesus Christ. God's blessed you with him, but he may use that to prove whether or not you're going to walk in his ways or not. What are you going to love more? God gives you all these things. Are you going to love Him more than the blessings that God gives you? Don't love the gift more than the giver, okay? But what we find here is He says, look, are you going to walk after me? He says, this is what you're supposed to do. I want you to walk after me. And He describes how this is going to be done. Fear Him, keep His commandments, obey His voice, serve Him, cleave unto Him. That's a relationship. That's a relationship. You know how it's a no, it's a relationship? Because what do you find over there when, when, when God creates woman and gives her to Adam and says this, you know, he says this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and he says that, that he's going to what? Cleave. A relationship. Relationship. Your relationship with Jesus Christ should be closer than the relationship with your spouse. You should cleave unto Him. These are, these are things that we clearly see what this Christian walk is about. And this is what He says. He says, I want you to walk in Him. You've received Christ Jesus the Lord. I want you to walk in Him. Here's how I want you to walk. Here's how I want you to walk. Take a look at another passage. Let's go over to Psalm 119. Psalm chapter 119. Here we are in Psalm 119, talking about the word of God in verse 45. Psalm chapter 119, verse 45. I love this passage. It says, I will walk at liberty. A lot of people will stop right there. They'll stop right there. Why is that? Because they want liberty. Liberty. Liberty and justice for all, right? We want liberty. I have liberty. I got my rights, right? Take a look at that. What does he say there? He says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. You cannot have liberty without the word of God. I will say that again. You cannot have liberty without the word of God. You can try to reform the government. I don't care how you try to reform the government. You will not reform the government unless the word of God is present, guiding and directing it. That's why every government of man fails. Every government, I will say it again. Every government of man is a failure. Why? Because unless the word of God is dictating and leading and guiding and directing in such a way that it is preeminent throughout all of government it will fall. The Roman Empire fell. The Greek Empire fell. Medo-Persian Empire fell. Babylon fell. They all fall. Why is that? Because they disregard God and they disregard His Word. And they believe something else. Everybody says, well, we need separation of church and state. Uh, first and foremost, people have no idea what the establishment clause, I even hate using that word, uh is about. They 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 clearly can't read in in my opinion. But, but the end result is it was never meant to keep God out of government. Right. It was never meant to be that. And in this day and age, nobody, the world, I should say, does not want God brought to the front. Right. Right. Why is that? Because they know what that will do. They do not like to retain God in their knowledge. Romans chapter 1. They do not like to retain God in their knowledge. Why? Because the knowledge of God brings conviction. You start putting that in government, people will get convicted real quick. And people don't like to be convicted of their sin. You ever... do you ever have somebody walk up to you and just flat out tell you, you are so wrong that you can't be any more wronger if you were wrong? <laughs> I know that that's a horrible statement, and it's just grammatically awful. But clearly, have you ever had somebody just say, you are so dead wrong? What's the first thing we do? I am not. <laughs> Whether we say it in our heart or we say it out loud, we deny it. Why? Because you just insulted me. You just pointed something out that I don't like. Well, why? Why do we respond that way? Because we don't like to be told that we did something bad. We don't like to be told we did something sinful. But I'll tell you this, we need that if we're ever going to try to walk in liberty. Because Christ is what makes us free. It's the truth. He calls himself truth. So the truth makes you free, right? And he also goes on further Here we are talking about the word of God. And what do we talk about over there about the liberty that we have in Jesus Christ? Not liberty to sin, but we have liberty. We shouldn't get caught up again with the yoke of bondage. We walk in this. This is what we walk in. We walk in that pathway. So if we're going to walk in liberty, then we need to make sure that we're clearly, clearly, as he says here, Uh, uh, seeking the precepts of God. Again, precept, we're talking about something that is set in advance, something that is laid down beforehand, that this is where I want you to be. It's not a response type law where you sin and there's a punitive action. We're talking about something, this is how you are going to do this. It's set beforehand. It's set beforehand. Take a look at one last verse here. Uh, uh, you know, um, just go back over to the book of Colossians. So we skip that verse, but go back to the book of Colossians. And he starts talking about that even in the second part of this chapter, where he starts talking about uh, walking in him, uh walking in a specific way. And he goes through all of these things later on, talking about how God and how Christ is going to affect that walk and how he's going to lead us in a certain path. But here we see in verse uh, verse 7 here, as he's ta- moving on a little bit forward, uh, forward through this, uh, he says very clearly, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Now, there is a ton of stuff to talk about with this verse. Uh, this is what we call a double illustration because he talks about being rooted and built. So, two things that God talks about when it comes to the Christian life is he talks about us as a building and he talks about us as trees. So when we talk about roots, we're talking about husbandry. Now, Paul does the same thing, similar over in uh, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where he's talking about uh, those um, those rewards. He starts talking about, he says, you are God's husbandry, ye are God's building." so again we, you know, he's using these things as as a typology for us to get us to, to understand okay so when he starts talking about a building he starts talking about how we're supposed to be that temple because he goes a little bit further in chapter 6 and he starts talking about you know you're not your own you're bought with a price and he talks about it in the, you know in the same book he says you're a temple right of the holy ghost okay now, the temple, and I've mentioned this before and I'll mention it again, the temple was never meant to be unfurnished. The temple was meant to be furnished, right? There was an altar, there was an altar of incense, there was uh, laver, there was a table, there was candlesticks, there was, a, there was a, a an ark in there, there was all of those things, Right? Those are all things that, if you will, in a spiritual sense and typology, that we're supposed to be uh, possess as he talks to Timothy over there. And he says that the the word of God is, is, you know, supposed to do this for us, thoroughly furnished unto good works. So in order to do that, you got to have the furnishings. So you got to make sure what's inside that temple is supposed to be what God wants. Nehemiah got upset when he found that there was somebody living in the temple. Yeah. I love that passage. Yeah. Grabs the guy out and drags him out of there. Drags him out of there. So just remember, there's always that option. You can be drugged out of church by your head. No. <laughs> No, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm not, gonna, I'm not going down for assault. All right, we're not doing that. I'm not gonna go in there and say. But look at Nehemiah says this judge. <clears throat> but but you take a look. I mean, he got upset. Rightfully so. Right. Rightfully so. We should get upset when there's something else that shows up in the temple. Remember when there was that, you know, that other altar that somebody saw, oh hey, that altar looks cool. They saw over in Damascus and you had a copy built right next to the other altar. The altar of God. Yeah, that didn't go over well. There's so many things that we can take a look at there when we start looking at how God wants us to be about as, as, as a building. But also at the same time, how God wants us to bear fruit and what type of fruit we're supposed to bear, because that will dictate what's in our heart—corrupt yeah. fruit or good fruit. There's some there's some Christians that produce some nasty-looking fruit. There's, I mean, you, 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 man, what is it around here in the Pacific Northwest? You go to some of these places and you try to get a piece of fruit. And you get a piece of fruit, and 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 you come from the grocery store, and you put it on the counter, and two hours later, the thing's gone bad. There's just some places like there are places that we will not get produce from, and there's some places that we'll get produce from because we know that it's going to do that. And then there's some people that just like I'm not going to any store to get produce; I'm going to grow it in my backyard. They got their own personal banana trees and coconut trees and. <laughs> Stuff like that in the backyard, right? But, you know, again, what we, we, we begin to see is we're supposed to bear a certain type of fruit. Is it going to be fruit that is beneficial? Is it going to be fruit that's good? You know, not all fruit is good. Right. There are certain berries you ought not eat. Yeah. Because they will make you sick. Or kill you. They're poison. There's poison. So we have to be careful about it. We have to be careful what we do with it. And, and, and there's so much more. I could go into this this whole thing with trees. I, I started studying out, making these notes, and it just became at this point where it is, it is an exhaustive study. When you start looking at these trees, and not all parts of fruit are meant to be consumed. If you go and you try to eat, like, say, a, a peach pit, <laughs> Whatever you do, don't crack that thing open. You know what's inside that peach pit? Cyanide. Gotta be careful with that. It'll make you sick. It'll kill you. Certain things, lemon seeds. Don't grind them up it will make you sick. Granted, you let one pass through your system. It's your, your body, your body knows, praise the Lord, it'll just pass naturally. But, you know, you start grinding it up, start doing those. People were like, all oh, about those seeds. There's certain seeds you can eat. Not every seed. Right. Not every seed. I know people go back and they start talking about, well, go back to Genesis. Yeah. Right. Okay. Curse of the earth. <laughs> Let's just bring that up. You're like, well, you know, he talked about every herb. Yeah, he didn't mean for you to smoke it. (laughs) Okay? So, again, we've got to be, you know, very, very specific about what the Lord says. But I I, I will tell you, we begin to see those things, but, uh, you know, related to trees. But here he is saying rooted. And the key thing is rooted. What are we being rooted in? And what are we building? What are we building upon? And it's Christ. Again, we're going back to the theme where he's talking about the preeminence of Christ. What is our foundation? What is it that we are growing in? What type of environment? What type of dirt? Where is this? And he talks about this, and he's talking about this with the, the, these illustrations, this double illustration, and there's so many passages. I, I want us to turn to one, and then we'll, we'll, we'll stop there, but we'll move on next week. But turn to Ephesians real quick. Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, just talking very briefly about uh, this uh idea of being rooted ephesians chapter three and uh um he 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 talks about in uh man to to go back up here. You know he he uh, says in verse thirteen, wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the uh, the Father of uh, our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in earth in heaven is named. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love. Now this is important. What is love? God. Let's go over to the book of First John. I mean, you think about it. It says God is love. You're not going to find any greater love than God ever in this life. Rooted and grounded in love. But God commendeth his love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. All of these things we see here, he says, being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ, which patheth to knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. You want a full godly life? You need to make sure that you're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, in the love of God. And you're not going to be unless you're in his word, unless you are seeking him diligently every single day to know exactly how he communicates that love to us. So as we begin to think about this concept of being rooted in the foundation, we'll get back to this in just a, a little bit, but... But I I, I want to end with that note saying it comes back to what our, 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 if you will, is under our feet. What are we standing on? Where is our steadfastness? Are we standing in our own might? Or are we standing in the power of God? And this is what he's getting at here with them. And if we don't do that, then the beguiling is going to happen and we're going to be spoiled as he talks about in the next warning in verse 8. So we have to be careful. Being rooted in, as it says here, built up in him. That's what's going to establish our faith. And we'll talk about that, Lord willing, more next week. But let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to study your word in the book of Colossians. Thank you again, Lord, for preserving it and giving it to us, Lord, that we would receive it uh, with joy and gladness. And I thank you again, Lord, for those that are here or are able to listen. Pray, Lord, that these words that you have in your book would just uh, be firmly planted in us and grow and flourish. I pray, Lord, you'd be continue to be with us through the 11 o'clock hour. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.